Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Ordinary People and Extraordinary Lives. My name is Lance Bain, and welcome to episode 109 of our little podcast designed to help us experience the grace of God while living, leading, and overcoming those everyday challenges that we face in life. So glad you're with me. Don't forget, if you would, check out LanceBain.com for many other resources, as well as you can you can subscribe to the multiple platforms where our podcast is available, and you can also communicate with me. I would love to hear from you and just know how you're doing and how you are growing. Hey, this week is an important topic on our podcast. It's called Leaders Who Restore. Leaders Who Restore, and this week is part one. This is a very important topic for us as leaders to talk about because if any of us choose to lead, parent, manage, maybe we're given a position where we have influence with others or over others, there's going to be a time where you will be called upon to help others be relationally, emotionally, and maybe organizationally restored for whatever reason. They're not accomplishing your expectations. They're not fulfilling the job description as you've laid it out. Maybe there's a moral failure of some kind. So in this topic, let's talk about leaders who restore. You know, effective and healthy restoration requires love, accountability, clarity, trust, particularly trust and faith when clarity is not present. So much of, uh, of leadership is you put trust in clarity, and when clarity is not available, you still need trust. Maybe that trust is in character. Maybe that trust is in skill set. Maybe that trust is in the strength of the relationship. So effective and healthy restoration requires love, accountability, clarity, trust, wisdom, and patience. Now, if you listen to this podcast much, you know that I'm a person of a Christian faith, and the teachings of Jesus and the writings of the Bible influence uh, uh, pretty much the entirety of my thinking and the way that I love and and lead and live. And there's a particular passage that I want to read to you. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church called Galatia, Christians in a region, really, called Galatia. Uh, that would be basically modern-day Turkey and just north of that. And I want to read to you what he wrote in what we call chapter 6, verse 1, because it talks about the role that we are to take in restoring others. And so today I'm going to share with you the seven qualities for leaders who restore. And we're not going to get through all seven qualities today, but I want to do it in two parts because we are in a time where people are struggling, you know, COVID, race, politics, finances, um, strained relationships, the divisiveness that seems to be happening within society. Uh, people are hurt. People are angry. People are frustrated. And what an opportunity to have leaders who know how to restore, to restore division, to restore relationships, to bring reconciliation, to restore back to places of mental health and physical health, relational health, financial health, spiritual health. And Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, My beloved friends, if you see a believer, or in our case, a person, who is overtaken with a fault, 
May the one who overflows with the Spirit, capital S, or let's read it this way, or may the one who overflows with responsibility seek to restore him, win him over with gentle words, which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. My beloved friends, if you see a person who is overtaken with a fault, may the one who overflows with responsibility seek to restore that person. Win them over with gentle words, which will open their heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over them. That's from the Passion Translation of the Bible, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Let me read to you from the Message Translation just a couple of phrases that are also written in Galatians 6, 1. The author of the Message Translation says that we should forgivingly restore another. Forgivingly restore another. He also says we need to stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. And then he goes on to say, and this is such a confrontational statement, but it's a good statement, and I want you to hear this. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Wow. Forgivingly restore another. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. And if you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Friends, we need leaders who know how to restore. We need leaders who have the proper qualities for restoration. Now, when I read Galatians 6.1 and he talks about if you see a believer or a person who's overtaken with a fault, they're overtaken with a fault, what you read in that is <clears throat> they are at the mercy of the fault. They are, at, they are at the mercy of that which has overtaken them. In, in a leadership context, what's overtaken them might be a character issue. It might be a competency issue. It might be a relationship issue. It, it may be that they don't have the resources needed to successfully fulfill what it is you're asking of them. And so we are then called to help restore them and to win them over with gentle words so that we actually get access to their heart and we keep from being exalted. Now, when I read Galatians 6.1, it reminds me of another story in the Bible that I want to use to identify the seven qualities of leaders who restore. And the story is told in John chapter 21. John chapter 21 is the last chapter of the Gospel of John, and it begins like this. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. So now he's about to tell us what happened in Jesus' appearance at the Sea of Galilee. He says, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, these were the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. They were all together. Simon Peter tells them, I'm going out to fish. Now, in case you don't know the scriptures very well, Simon was a fisherman. That's what he was doing when Jesus first found him three years earlier. Simon says, I'm going out to fish. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples, they didn't realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, hey, friends, haven't you any fish? 
Nah, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, again, if you're not familiar with the scriptures and the life story of Jesus, there was a time earlier before Jesus was crucified that he did something similar to this. He had asked some folks if they had caught any fish and they said, nope. And he tells them to throw their nets on the other side of their boat, and they caught a ton of fish. So when you read this story, you're starting to find, wow, this feels like another time Jesus did this. I'll point that out to you again in just a moment. So he says to them in verse 6, hey, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Remember, they had fished all night, and they didn't catch anything. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, and that's John, John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred meters. And when they landed, They saw a fire of burning coals there with fish already on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came. He took the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same with fish. Now, again, this is one of those moments that's going to harken back to some previous memories. You can think about the Last Supper, Jesus gave them bread. He took the bread, he broke it, he gave it to them. There was also a time with fish and bread when Jesus was confronted and the disciples were confronted with 5,000 hungry men, not counting women and children. There was another time where it was 4,000 men, not counting women and children. And in both instances, Jesus took fish and bread, and he fed the multitudes of people by multiplying supernaturally the food. There was also a time in Luke 24 when Jesus was on the road to uh, Emmaus, and he was walking with two disciples who had just heard about the resurrection, and they were dumbfounded by what had happened, and they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And Jesus went with them, and he shared with them on a very long walk what all of the Old Testament had talked about in the coming of the Messiah. And it says that when he broke bread with them, that their eyes were opened. So when you read in verse 13 that Jesus came and he took the bread, there's a lot of significance to that. And giving it to them, there is significance to that. And he did the same with the fish, and there is significance to that. And then it says in verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, we read in verse 1, it said, afterwards, Jesus appeared again. Afterwards, meaning in John chapter 20, the previous chapter, we see the two other instances when Jesus appeared to the disciples. Once was immediately after the resurrection. Some folks run to the tomb. Jesus isn't there. They come back. They tell their friends, Jesus isn't there. And it says that they had locked the door because they were afraid of the Jews. And Jesus just showed up in their room and he revealed himself to them and he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Peace I give to you. My peace I give you. 
as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Now, Thomas wasn't there who was one of the early disciples and apostles. And so Jesus has his first experience and then he leaves. And then he comes back for a second experience. And, and Thomas was there this time. And Thomas said, look, I'm not going to believe you guys until I can touch him myself. And Jesus shows up a second time and he reveals himself to Thomas. And Thomas says, Lord, I believe. The third time that Jesus makes himself known is right here in John 21 on the seashore where he's already got some fish and bread cooking. Friends, the reason this is a podcast about leaders who restore, because when you read in verse 15 of John 21, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus asks again, Simon, Peter, John, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And a third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he goes on to declare something about Peter and how he would die. Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter denied Jesus three times. And here it is, three times Jesus is asking him, Peter, do you love me? Jesus is restoring Peter. Because he had said to Peter before, Peter, your calling is not to be a fisherman. Your calling is to be a fisher of men. You can find that in Matthew chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 16. And you see Peter living that out in the first half of the book of Acts, as well as in his epistles, First and Second Peter. Jesus restored Peter, and there are seven qualities in this story that help us also be the kind of leader that can restore others when there's shortcoming, when there's failure, when there's unmet expectations, when there's brokenness in relationships. And what are these seven qualities? Well, number one, the leader's readiness. Number two, the leader's presence. Number three, the leader's attitude. Number four, the leader's perspective. Number five, the leader's partnership. Number six, the leader's generosity. And number seven, the leader's love. Let's talk about the first three quickly. So, um, Quality number one for a leader who restores, and this is what we learn from the life of Jesus, and we find it in verse four, it is a leader's readiness, a leader's readiness. You see in verse four of John 21, it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, early in the morning. It speaks to a leader's readiness. It speaks to their training. A leader's readiness is, do I know how to restore others? Do I know how to do win-win confrontation? Do I know how to do peacemaking? Do I know how to speak to another's identity? Do I know how to lovingly hold another accountable? Do we know how to have a good coaching conversation? Do we know how to instruct? Do I know how to mentor? Do, not, do I know how to love well? Do I know their love languages? It's, a leader's readiness is so much about training. Like You're just being ready. You're being made ready for that moment that you too can stand on the seashore of someone else's life and you're going to help restore them. A leader's readiness is about values that protect and support prosperity. A leader's readiness is about going first early in the morning. Jesus was there. Now, these guys have been fishing all night, but who's the first guy that we're told is on the seashore? It's Jesus. He's the one that's there. And so a leader's readiness is training and it's 
values that protect a relationship, that protect dignity, that protect the corporation, that protect the team, but you also support prosperity. And we don't want to sacrifice any one individual for the collective whole, nor do we want to sacrifice the collective whole for any one individual. So how do we find a win-win, a win for the collective whole and a win for the individual? A leader's readiness is about reflection. It's about you and I taking the time to reflect and to think and to pray and to prepare intentional conversations that we can have with people. Because a leader's readiness recognizes that they are in the people business. Peter had felt miserably Jesus. Jesus had showed up to him twice already after his resurrection. And Jesus had not addressed Peter directly as far as we know in any of those moments, but we find it in John 21. And I believe that Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? I think it's an interesting idea because Peter said three times that I don't know him. He denied him. And grace is always greater than our failure. A leader's ability to be ready and to be loving and to be present and to be all of these qualities is so powerful can help people restore. The second quality is not just a leader's readiness, but it's a leader's presence. Again, in verse 4, it says Jesus stood on the shore. He stood on the shore. He was present. Leaders who restore are physically present and they are emotionally present. They're intentional and they are proactive. Notice you see in verse 5, which we'll talk about in just a moment, but Jesus calls out, friends, haven't you any fish? Have you caught something? Have you been successful? You're trying to deal with this new reality by doing what you used to do? Is that really working for you? Jesus was intentional and he was proactive. He knew what he wanted to do. And leaders have a sense of what's needed and they, they bring that to the relationship. They bring that to the organization. Leaders who are present are visible and they are accessible. Leaders who are present, they're visible and they are accessible. Let me just be practical with you for a moment. Do your inner circle of leaders know how to contact you? Do they have your cell number? Do they have your email? Do they have, are they, do they text? Um, I had one particular leader one time. He would uh, text his team, his volunteer team, like in the middle of the day, and, and, and no one would respond in the time that he thought was appropriate, and he would get so frustrated by that. And it was just as simple as recognizing, hey, these people have full-time jobs. Maybe, maybe they can't text you. Maybe they're not allowed to. Maybe they have to put their phone away or maybe they're busy. And, and the other idea was, why do you expect people to text you back within 30 minutes or an hour? I mean, have you communicated that, that you expect that? And so a leader's presence is visible and accessible. Do people know how to get a hold of you? Do they know, like, hey, I'm an early, I go to bed early, so if you text me after 9 o'clock, I'm probably not going to get it. Do, just think about this practically because we read into when people, we, they say they're accessible, but then when we reach out, there's nothing coming back to us. And it sends a horrible message of disconnection and a lack of priority and devaluing. So just be, recognize that there's a, there's a practicality to a leader's presence. Leader's presence is also you have the ability to see. Jesus stood on the seashore. He was able to see those that he wanted to restore, those that he loved. Leaders see people. They have the ability to see. You see people, not spreadsheets. We see people, not bottom lines. We see people more than we see policies. We see 
people because leaders are in the people business. Number three, quality number three for leaders who restore is leaders, it's the leader's attitude. We find this in verse five. Verse five, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in because of the large number of fish. A leader's attitude, notice Jesus called out to them. His leadership and his attitude was proactive and it was vocal. You can't be a leader and be silent. You can't. You got to speak up. You got to give voice. You have a voice and your voice matters. And make sure that voice is loving and make sure that voice is affirming and make sure that voice is strong and assertive. Make sure your voice is proactive. He, Jesus, called out to them. He didn't wait on them to show up and on the shoreline and ask them if they had any fish. He was proactive. And notice how he addresses them, friends. Jesus' attitude was friendly. He asked a question. His attitude was curious. His attitude was others-focused. His attitude was others-focused. So there are wonderful qualities here about helping our brothers and sisters who have been overtaken with a fault. And those of us with responsibility need to seek to restore them. And we need to win them over with gentle words because it will open their heart to us. And it will also keep us from exalting ourselves over them. And we're going to forgivingly restore. And we're going to stoop down and reach out to help those who are oppressed because we're not too good for that. And the qualities that a leader needs we find in this story where Jesus was restoring Peter who had failed him horribly. And the first three qualities that Jesus role models for us in the story is that a leader needs to be ready, a leader needs to be present, and a, need, a leader needs to have a really good attitude. And I believe, friends, that if you can begin to reflect upon your own leadership and these qualities, you're going to find yourself getting the training you need to restore, being the kind of leaders that allows other people's failure in your presence to not be fatal. Failure is not fatal. Friends, let's be the kind of leaders that Jesus says we can be. Leaders who are ready, leaders who are present, and leaders who have a great attitude. Hey, next week we'll hit the other four remaining qualities of leaders who restore. But I want to encourage you this week to think about this. Get to LanceBain.com, find this podcast, and look at the handwritten show notes. They'll be available for you there. Print these notes off. They're my handwritten notes, literally handwritten notes. Print them off. Look at them. Write on them. Begin to reflect on your own leadership because we are in an hour, I believe, where we need leaders who know how to restore. Friends, thank you for listening. I love you a lot, praying for you. Just encourage you to stay hopeful, to stay healthy, to stay strong. This is ordinary people living extraordinary lives because of the grace of God that is helping us live, lead, and overcome those everyday challenges we face in life. Hey, thank you for listening to episode 109, Leaders Who Restore Part 1. Hope you have a great week, everybody, and I'll talk to you again next week on Part 2 of Leaders Who Restore. Who Restore.